Husker Loss Tuesday. Sip, I'm Sam, and this is the Sip and Sam Showdown with HuskerExtra.com. Sip, how you doing? Say that three times, Sam. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm okay. Good. Uh, I think we were both uniquely surprised at yeah. uh, Champagne. Not necessarily that they lost, but they lost in the exact same way they've been losing games for many, many years, predating Scott Frost. Uh, certainly during the Scott Frost era, Nebraska loses 30-22 to to Illinois. And the question that came out of that game was, Ugh. and also, mm-hmm. does there feel like a sense of resignation now that they've lost that game because they put so much into it and they got so little out of it? Let's stop and think about this. It's interesting. Game one. It's game one on your schedule. And it does feel like there's a lot of resignation. I don't know if it's misplaced. I, there's a part of me that says it's a little early for resignation, right? It's game one. Right. It, the issue is is how they lost. It looks so similar to previous losses. And Scott said that. This, what do he say? It looks like a... The this, same movie. I've seen, I told the guys this looks like the same movie. We can't have this be the same movie. I just feel like the resignation from the fan base set in quickly. Now, what would you say? That's what I hear. I, maybe I'm, maybe I hear apathy yeah. and it's, it's, it's a quitting and I still feel there's a sense of anger. And the reason I think it's anger instead of apathy is partially because of the response we got after the game. Now, there are people who are angry with Scott Frost, uh, but simultaneously, I think there's a sense of fight in the fan base that, that is like, you gotta be kidding me. This can't possibly be the whole story of the Frost era. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the fans were feistier than he was on Saturday and Monday. I feel like the assistants today, uh, as we talk here on a Tuesday, were feistier. They were more direct in the way that they talked about the players' they mistakes. They Frost kind of you know, chalked it up to the fates of having the wrong game plan. Matt Lubick today came out and said, no, 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 we had enough. We didn't execute it right, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was notable. And so, yeah, I, you know, I feel like – the fans are still a little fired up. That may change if they lose the Fordham, which I don't think they will. It feels almost like the, the players and the assistants are, are not going to quit on this season just yet. And, and it, it, I, I'm not sure that I would describe that loss as cataclysmic. In the media, okay. we look at it that yeah. way, yeah. and I understand why we look at it that way because we got a long view of history. But within the context of this season, I'm not sure. Let's be clear. I don't think that the players and the coaches are resigned. I don't think that at all, nor should and they. We've be. seen resignation yeah. in players and coaches before. We've seen it in 2017. We did. We, we, saw it, it, we saw it clearly by the way they played. Now, I, I don't sense that. I don't see it, and I hope I don't. But the fans, that's a different sub. It's a much different subset and really different than the media. Um, I can't say – I'm still very interested. I still think they can have the sort of season – that I thought they might seven or eight wins. It's a steeper hill now, but I wouldn't say I feel that way. But I've it just feels like I've heard that from fans. I think there's a grave tone. I don't know if it's resignation, but okay. it's grave it's sort of, tone. You know, like okay, I like that, Sam. Things are. I'll use that in a column. It's time to Thank turn you. things around, Scott. <laughs> you know that yeah. kind of yeah. that kind of straightforward thinking. What shocked you the most on Saturday? Like just shock. Like at okay. the end of the game, you're like, what was that? The lack of run game, um, the lack of offensive line push, right. the, the ability to get basically just a stalemate. And why was I shocked? Why was I shocked? Because I, they convinced me throughout August that it was got to be more than that. Mm-hmm. I was convinced. I thought Scott, when he handed out the black shirts, him saying this mission has to start 
guys with the black shirts and the pipeline. Right. I thought, okay, he's serious. They're, they're really serious about this. You heard offensive linemen talk during camp. Guys where run the damn, what do they say, run, run the, the damn, damn ball, ball. Um, that sort of thing. And I thought, okay, this is going to look different. Now, I will say this. They tried it. They didn't try it probably. First quarter and a half, they yeah, did. probably enough. But they tried it. They put a big back back there. The kind of back that they did. That can get downhill. They just didn't make. They just didn't make any room for him. And then they went away from it. Compli- as usual, as is typically the case with football, Sam. There's a lot of complicating factors. Sure. One yeah. thing feeds into another, etc. Muddies up the conversation a little bit. But the bottom line is that I think they went away from the run a little too quickly. But I get. I guess the main thing actually is they weren't getting anything when they're trying. That's fair. That's fair. I, I I'll be curious to see how how much Gabe Irvin plays in three or four weeks. Because if you're gonna run a zone scheme, you gotta have a runner back that has a little bit of cadence to him. Yeah. That's a rocker step. Yeah. It, you it, it isn't yeah. it isn't run yeah. into the back of somebody, which is exactly what Ramir Johnson did when he was out there again. <clears throat> you can't do that. It has to be a tempo that gets mm-hmm. you into it. It's almost like jumping into a double judge jump rope. Okay. And so I feel like Irvin's got to get better there, or they've got to put somebody else out there. The thing that shocked me the most, and this will yeah, sound what kind is of weird, it, the punter. Really? Oh, if you put 20 punters in a room and you had them watch what happened there, they wouldn't know what, what the hell was going on. Why? Why do you say that? Because the punting was really bad. That was maybe one of the worst punting performances that we've seen. I mean, okay, so Caleb Lightborn kicked one into the bleachers and he kicked one up in the middle of the sky that yeah. went back against him. Yeah. But he wasn't trying to do that. Like, he, right. he wasn't a very good punter. This guy, when he tried to pooch a couple of times, and Dawson even mentioned it today, he didn't swing his leg all the way through. The ball looked like a medicine ball coming mm-hmm. off his foot. Like yeah. it just kind of flopped him in the air and boop, yeah. just down like that. <laughs> and I'm like, is this what you spent the entire training camp watching? Mm-hmm. Because the other guy wouldn't have done that. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. that they used last year, mm-hmm. Pristop, who they had to use, he didn't, he didn't kick a ball like that. So I was surprised. Mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised by the kickoff return. They, it was a car crash again. They ran right into the middle of a bunch of guys at about the 19. It's very disappointing to watch Nebraska be incapable of returning a kickoff to the 25. The special teams was probably the thing that I looked at and go, what? Shock. This is just not. This isn't what you're supposed to do. Well, there's a lot to pick from, let's face it. Yeah. I mean, the the lack of response to Caleb Tanner's uh, roughing the pass or personal foul. They didn't take him out for a play. Well. You know that? Yeah. Um, not one play. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a philosophical discussion. Just you know, being outscored 28-0 right after that yeah. is that was a little. There's a lot. The whole thing, Sam, was a little shocking to me. I just, I'm not gonna. I mean, there's, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I just expected a lot more than that. And now, now, is that just the first game? Will they make huge strides? And we'll we'll look back on that as something that was an anomaly. Right. See, that's what I, I think most people are convinced. No, we're not going to that. This is what we are under Frost. I, and in Frost, I don't think I don't think there's anything that he can really say right now to try to convince anybody otherwise. Practice was different on Monday. Oh, it's always that way, isn't it? Um, they turned the music off. Yeah, they made something different. They were like, we can't go out of this weekend thinking that what happened last weekend was OK. And they made a change. Right. Well, whatever. The, you I don't think feel, much of that move. Well, it's something. And there's a lot, you know, and again, covering a football team, there's so much we don't know that right. goes on behind the scenes, so it's sort of maddening. I always say 
you can get a pretty good read on a football organization by what you see on Saturday or Sunday, if it's the pros, Friday, if it's high school. Well, what I saw Saturday indicates there's a lot of cracks in the organization. Right. That's what it indicates. Right. Um, now, I guess you could say I'm pretty skeptical going forward. I think that's fair. And the, the, the big reason is, as long as we're getting into it, here's the big reason. These next two games are what, are what they are. Oklahoma now looks terrifying. If, if Archer Sitkowski can complete 11 of his first 12 passes, I mean, God only knows what Spencer Rattler will do in Norman. And then the problem is you go to this Michigan State game with if you're going in there with a substandard offensive line, you're going against a Michigan State team is not very good. It's not all that good, but they are good up front. They are. On defense. And they have a good coach for right. defense. So what's that look like? Yeah. What's that look like? Does, does Michigan State just have to score 17 or 20 to beat you? Maybe. It could be, yeah. It's and the, then where are you? Give where it are time. You? Where are you? We'll see. I, mean, yeah, I that sounds I'm doomsday. more optimistic of the two. That sounds doomsday, yeah. but I'm. You, at some point you you got to be real. Agreed. I spent a lot of months over the offseason probably not based in reality. Well, we don't we don't get to see much. Guess right. what's real? They get to extend the home uh, – Sellout streak for one more game. They go from 375 to 376 mm-hmm. through this red carpet experience program. Basically, a group of donors purchased purchased the tickets. They're going to give those to economically disadvantaged youths and their parents and guardians. The, the sellout streak lives for another week. It's going to be a week-to-week endeavor. Okay. Um, what do you think of that idea? Well, I love the idea. I love the idea I of giving too. it to disadvantaged use and guardians. I think it's a wonderful idea by Trev Alberts or whoever whoever came up Dr. with the Dr. Lawrence idea. Chatters, uh, who is the new associate athletic director, it was his idea. It's a great idea. It is. Now, and I do think, now I am of the mind that that sellout streak is very important. I am amazed how casual people are about it ending, the notion of it ending. What? There's, there's very little left that defines Nebraska, mm-hmm. that, that says Nebraska football, that what, what, what we knew in its glory years for sure. Right. There's just nothing left. Why, why are people so casual about that ending? It's like it reminds me of when Callahan, Bill Callahan was hired and people were so willing to stiff arm how Nebraska built its brand, right. how, it, how it basically played the game. They – you know, you remember the spring game when Bill Callahan took over and the fans stood up and cheered as they were making their motion shifts. Yeah. And then he threw a deep ball down the down the field to Matt Herring. Everybody stood up and cheered. And I was I'm always a little bit taken aback by it still. How how easy how easily and casually people stiff armed what made Nebraska Nebraska. And now I see that with the with the sellout streak. That is something that de- that defines that program. Do they not want anything that defines it? What, then what is Nebraska as a well, program? Well, I, I don't think that I don't think the sellout streak is important. As you all know, I've written about this. I, I I think it could have faded away a couple of years ago, and it would have been fine. One of the reasons is 2017. Um, you look at the end of that season, and okay, the tickets were sold, but nobody came. I mean, they, they had 45,000 people at the Iowa game. It was an embarrassment. That's one reason is that the fans kind of quit on it anyway. The second reason is is that something really has changed in the last 20 years that is not Nebraska's fault, and that's called our phones, social media, the way that we consume games, and the fact that Nebraska did not retrofit its stadium when it could have. In 2013, right. they true. decided to expand it. 
and make it bigger instead of saying instead of making this bigger we're going to we're going to take it down by 12,000 seats and in taking it down by 12,000 seats we're going to guarantee the sellout streak and we're going to make it a better experience by putting seat backs in mm -hmm. they didn't do that mm -hmm. and so i don't know when the last time is you've been to a home game uh, and actually sat in the in, in the seats. I was, uh, but 12. if I have to sit in the seats, that ain't going to be any fun for anybody. Right, right. Person sitting next to me, not mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. It's very very hard to enjoy a game in North or South Stadium at this point when they're not winning and the experience doesn't even include a cup holder, not mm -hmm. even a cup holder. Yeah, oh, come on. I mean, not even a cup holder. Uh, now how many kicked? Sam, you know how many kicked pops there are? Here's the thing: we're not having this conversation, and I don't. They don't need to win nine or ten games. Right. They just need to win. If they're over 500, if they're in the eight-win range, we're not having a conversation. Well, I mean, we're not having the conversation because they win sell the tickets, but they've been buying the tickets. I mean, they, they don't have 90,000 people there. We know by the gate receipts. The most they've ever had in that stadium was in 2016 Oregon, and it sounded like it. Sure. They haven't on. had 80,000 since if then. If they win 10 games, that you won't be able to get a ticket. Well, sure. You won't be able to get a ticket. It will be no problem. We, I think you I cling think to it as hard true. as you can. I think what you do and is they you are can, you with can, this program. You can minimize seats. You can knock off seats in the stadium. Oh, yeah. Get it down to 80,000. Get it down to 78,000. You could do it fairly easily. I'd get it down to 60. <laughs> Why not? That, that wouldn't occur e as easily. You'd have a better crowd. It'd yeah. be louder. Right. Oh, I don't. There's I, only sixty. There's only going to be 50,000 people sitting in that stadium this weekend. <clears throat> I don't mind that idea, but... All I'm saying is the notion of casually dismissing the sellout streak, I, I'm uncomfortable with it. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's move to our third topic. Which assistant was, I guess, not on the hot seat, but disappointed you the most in that very first game and thus has the most to prove against Fordham and Buffalo? We'll, 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 we'll put those games well, together. As a general, I mean, speaking generally, not necessarily just that game, but over the course of four-plus seasons, yeah. I'd say it's the quarterbacks coach, Mario Verduzco. Um, they haven't – I mean, the best quarterback other than the one they they chose as their guy, Adrian Martinez, was probably Noah Vedrill. Agreed. Uh, maybe Luke – you know, you could say Luke McCaffrey, but that was going to be a major development project. And if you look at the development of Adrian Martinez, it makes you very skeptical about, about the McCaffrey – picture and what that would have looked like had he stayed around if you just look at adrian there's no doubt he's regressed that's not all on mario again i talk about football being complicated adrian martinez his development that that discussion's complicated because they haven't put enough around him and it now to me it looks again like that might be the case i thought they'd be better at receiver well they didn't I, play I, the guys they didn't play Xavier i didn't Bats. see the speed i didn't see the speed that i need to see um, at running back, you just don't know. Offensive line was a big disappointment. So is Adrian playing behind a disappointing offensive line with not a lot of skill talent once again? That's not all on Adrian. It's not all on Mario. But Adrian, those airmail passes, that, I mean, his technique doesn't look great to me sometimes. Uh, when, you, when you throw a ball four feet over a six-foot-five guy's head, I, I don't know how that <laughs> there's something did. wrong with that picture. Yeah, I, I I think the thing that Adrian had to work on the most was red zone passing and I I didn't see it in the first game. Even the touchdown pass was a ooh, you know, it was kind of an adventure even though he had two wide open guys. Martinez is a concern to me. You know, I, I so but I'm not gonna name the same coach. It probably is him. 
I think Verduzco was on the field. I didn't feel like that the quarterback responded great mm -hmm. um, necessarily when bad things happen. So some of it is on the quarterback's coach and the fact that they have two other coaches who have coached the quarterbacks. Yeah, it's, some of this I'm is confused Scott Frost. by why there's three yeah. people who, who could be responsible for that. I'll say this. I actually like Greg Austin. I think uh, I think he's a good line coach, but so something is not lined up. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why. But, you know, he's the run game coordinator, and their run game was an absentee on, on Saturday, and I got to think that frustrates him a lot. Um, that group, it's always hard to tell what they're good at. Um, the, running, the offensive line and the run game was better in 2018 than it is now by some margin. Go back and look. They were making better holes back then. I feel like this group, Bryce Benhart played pretty well on Saturday, I thought. Probably his best game. Uh, left tackle, woof. I mean, that was rough. Yeah, uh, guys was. on the ground a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, guys getting jammed back into Adrian. The internal stuff was – the interior stuff was okay. You know, Cam Jurgens had a bad snap again. So that was concerning. I think those I think those two coaches, when you think about it, are worry points. I don't put too much of the special teams on Dawson other than it's someone's responsibility to figure out who's going to punt. And I'll tell you what, if the guy can't pooch punt or has forgotten how to do it, then – just have him punt. Him kick it into the end zone. Yeah, that's, that's better than that's what a, he was doing. It's concerning to you. Now, the offensive line uh, re, the offensive line discussion regarding Austin, You ha, you ha with that group, you can point to the fact it's the first game. It can. An offensive line does take a little time to gel, uh, typically. It does. Um, and also that, okay, I have to say that, I was pretty critical of them in the opener, but that criticism is mitigated a bit by what Scott said about the game plan. Yeah. If they if there was confusion, that's going to affect the offensive line play early. It wasn't good early. They weren't they didn't they weren't making a lot of room for the running back. So I, there's some mitigating factors attached to the offensive line that I wouldn't attach to Adrian. Adrian's experienced quarterback. He's True. four year. He's in his fourth year. We saw the same sort of bugaboos uh, Saturday that we've seen over the course of time, over the course of the last two years. He's got it, and, and we'll see. We'll see what game two looks like. Um, I, I hope fine. It they're playing Fordham. Yeah. Well, we'll see on that. <laughs> I mean, I want to see that. I want to see it. I don't care who that is. What is one of – so let's move on to this. Okay. What do you want to see out of the offense against Fordham on Crisp. I want to see crispness. I, I mean, I, especially from Adrian. Um, I want to see him hit open receivers. Um no, I, I, I'm interested in when he throws across his body when he's when he's when he's like this and he's and he's thrown to that side of the field. It right. seems like he it seems like that's where the problems arise a little bit. Right. I want to see him put a little more air under the fade ball, which he doesn't do. And I thought that the the pass to Wyatt Lever was sort of an example of that. If he puts a little air and drops it in there, it's an easy touchdown. He didn't put much air under it, overthrew him, and huge missed opportunity. Um, you know, you obviously want to see the run game going. It should be a given. They'll probably hammer it at Fordham. I would think that's what they'll try to do. You think? Um, I just hope they worry about themselves. You know, get just concentrate on yourself. But don't come out and use 11 o'clock start as an excuse. Or I don't want to hear any excuses either. Hey, listen, this whole thing about a trap game or whatever, yeah. it does not apply to Nebraska. Nope. I mean, what, what, tra one. what trap between losses? I mean, what is it? The, the, Nebraska, Mar Mar Markel DeSmuke said it today, earlier today, kind of casually off the cuff. But he says, but he said, we have a lot to prove ourselves. 
Nebraska has a lot to prove. They need to play like that. Offensively, I want them to not worry about whether they're going to show something for some of their game down the line and just run their offense. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. feel like so many times within the Frost era, there's been a concern about the game plan or what we're going to do or what we're going to show or what we're going to do that they didn't do. And it feels like so rarely we're just going to do what we do. And if we run any play that we want to run, we're going to run it. I cannot believe we're four years into the Frost era and they never run trick plays. What are you saving them for? You're five? Like, run them. Run the plays. Like, do something. You have them. Yes. I mean, I don't understand why it is so hard for them to run those plays. Or just do something that you didn't think you were going to do, but you got to pull it out. So hopefully Nebraska runs its offense and doesn't worry about whether they're showing too much because it's Fordham. Play to win. Defensively, you know, I, I would really like to see Nebraska try to get a four-man pass rush, and this this team's probably going to end up throwing a lot if Nebraska forces them to throw it. Um, and so, as as a result, you'd like to see Illinois and Nebraska get three interceptions. Yeah, three. Okay. And as far as special teams go, again, crisp. Not a bag of crisp. trash. Crisp. I mean, yeah. make good decisions. Concentrate on making good decisions. Ugh. Make this make this an important game. I hope that's what they're doing over there. I would not treat it any differently. I know it sounds trite. I wouldn't treat it any differently than if you're playing Ohio State. Win the game. I mean, I'd concentrate on winning the game. Preferably I wouldn't, 56 to 10. Yeah, I wouldn't think about, like you, like you suggested, sh- sh- what we're showing, what we're not oh. showing. Just play to win the game. Do that's, what you got to do. That's absolutely right. All right. Well, that is our episode for this week. I think we both think Nebraska's going to win. We'll probably win by a couple of touchdowns. For Sip, I'm Sam. This is the Sip and Sam Showdown on HuskerExtra.com.